Welcome to episode 23 of the Muck Podcast, where we discuss the dark and sometimes weird true stories in American politics. I'm Tina Jaramillo. And I'm Hillary Doherty. Hillary, how are you? Good. Today's my 12th wedding anniversary. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's so that's exciting. good. Yes. So, you know, 12 years. Yeah. We had our, <laughs> oh, I think we had our 12 year. Oh, really? Wait, what year did you get married? 2008 yes okay so then okay so that was a month ago but we both forgot about it until the middle of the day we'll do something tomorrow because tomorrow's a memorial day yeah so we'll do something tomorrow we usually you know go away for the weekend and his parents help us with the kids but it's you know nice it is nice it's marriage is like a lot of work it's a lot of work (laughs) I don't think they really tell you when you're getting into it but it's it's one of the hardest things to stick it out and and work through it and make those compromises and yes you know and during quarantine it's it's a little harder sometimes it is it's a lot harder because it's just all day every day and everybody's feeling the stress you know I see that my daughter's a bit of a worry wart and she's I think that's building up this this um fear of people dying around her that's what she was telling me last night so I was like, well, maybe we need to have like a, a like a Zoom chat with, you know, she's with worried about family. her cousins all over Aww. the state and all over in, in, in other states and wants to make sure everybody's okay. And what about my uncle? Like, what, how's he going to like work and what, and is he being safe? And I'm like, my God, like she's very concerned about all these people yeah. and, and, you know, Aww. so I was like, all right, let's just check in with everybody. And then, then all we can do is worry about our little unit. Yeah. And hope everybody else is doing the same thing. Like, let's just control what we can control. That way you'd, everything doesn't feel so chaotic yeah. in our heads, you know? Yeah. I have, but my brother travels mm. and he's still traveling. His work oh, is wow. still, so he's on, uh, he's still on planes every couple of days. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, it's a lot. It's, 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 it's scary to think about about how out of control like you know that's why when you see people protesting without masks and stuff it's like you just want to grab them and be like oh but you can only control what you can control right like you can only do what you can do so um um i wanted to i did an appearance on that record got me high podcast yes um it just came out this week which i know is now going to be two weeks late but um if you haven't seen us promoing it or putting it up on our instagram uh check it out they're here local south florida guys and they break down well like an album every week they go track by track for different albums oh my god it's it's amazing it's such a good podcast it's so funny these guys are they're fantastic musicians and they really can like they have they have an ear for the music right and I have an ear for nonsense so like I (laughs) come in and like I do my best to break down of course the album we've discussed on end here is like fetch the bolt cutters so uh go check it out it's called that record got me high and they're really really great guys and super supportive of our podcast so yes they go check it out and they have a great I love their insta Yes, they, they, they make the funniest yes, posts. They're really good. Really, oh, really good. Damn it, Tina. <laughs> so here we go. 23. You got anything you want to talk about before we start? No. I mean, the only thing that's been happening is we got my son a drum kit. Oh, girl. A big one? Like like a big regular? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. For his birthday? Yeah. How's that? Is it in his room? <laughs> no. We have to figure out where we're putting it. It's not an adult size one. It's still like a full kit. It's yeah. like an intermediate. Okay. 
but um, full. The only thing that's really sad is that um, our dog gets oh. really upset with yeah. one of the drums, and I, you know, their ears are sensitive, and yeah. I mean, he, he, he'll cry. And so then we have to put him out when he's on it. And so that part has made me sad. I didn't realize like the impact on the dog. Mm. Um, but, but the first day he was like an emotional mess, the dog. <laughs> he was just oh so sad. So now we just put him outside um, when they want to play. But, but both of the boys are now on it. So I've seen your older son play drums and he's a bit of a whiz when it comes to music. So he'd like pick that shit right up. Yeah. Um, does your son, younger one need like lessons? Oh my God. Yeah. So okay. I don't know what we're going to do. My older has, he does piano. So we have zoom piano lessons, which have gone really well. Mm. We just, uh, it's put the iPad up on the, on the tripod and like lean it down so he can see his hands. And yeah. then he actually plays his own piano. So he'll say, no, no, no. Like, look at my hands, look what I'm doing. So it's, it's, it's been working really great, but we don't know anyone for drums. So right now we're kind of going to just let him. Feel it out until yeah. we figure out how we can. Can your get husband lessons. play them? No. Okay. No. Okay. There's no. No. Yeah. I mean, I can do like the, you know, hand drums. Get me on any kind of hippie <laughs> drum, I'll go. I can go. I'll I'll be in a drum circle for days, but not on a drum. Not on a drum kit. Oh my god, a drum circle! I oh when we were god. in Asheville, we went to Asheville a couple summers ago. What a beautiful city! Holy cow! Even just driving into that city, the mountains that are around you, but. You get in Asheville and every Friday night they have a drum circle in downtown and we just like happened upon yes. it. It was the coolest hippie shit I've oh ever my God. seen. So I used to always play intro. This is, oh I used to always God. play in drum circles. Yeah. And one time in the Keys, we, um, it was a bunch of uh, girls. We had this little trip to the Keys. It was, it was lovely. And um, we, we were drumming and uh, John Cougar Mellencamp and his like, he had like this beautiful white. What? They, he threw like a dollar. Like he threw money at Are you kidding I me? I swear to God. Oh, isn't it's he like, like really tiny yes oh my no, the god woman john was very, cougar yeah it was the weirdest thing <laughs> oh my god where would you do it like mallory square um god just we were random in, we were in key west i don't remember where i not the other thing that happened on that trip is um we stayed at that hemingway house so you can't stay at the Hemingway house. But right. the guy that ran it was like, yeah, girls, just camp out in the back. Are so you he, kidding so me? So he let us just hang out and camp in the back. Wait, what, what, a, what a story. <laughs> this is a story with the cats and everything. Yeah. Holy shit, I Tina. Know. It was wild. It was fun. It's yes. probably because we were, you know, like these four. Yes, cute, four, yeah. young. Yeah. Oh, those were the days. I know. Now I'll be lucky if someone hold a door open for me. <laughs> the old bag. Open uh, up your own door. <laughs> But we want to open our own doors, yeah. right? Okay. <laughs> I have my rights. Where are my rights? <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Okay. We got to We got to do this. Okay. Let's go. I'm first. Ready? Yes. Okay. So I'm going to talk about, let me go back to the top of my page. I'm going to talk about former, former Ohio Governor Jim Rhodes. Oh. Okay. I, I had a really badass quote from him, but if I read it, you'll know what the whole thing's about and- Let's let's just get there. Okay. Okay. Jim Rhodes was born in Colton, Jackson County, Ohio in 1909. Mm. When Rhodes was nine, his father died and the family moved to North Springfield where Rhodes graduated from Springfield High School uh, where he played on the football team. Oh. Subsequently, the family moved again, this time to Columbus 
where Rhodes earned a modest basketball scholarship to Ohio State University. He ends up dropping out in the first quarter, but because he became a governor, um, they described him, or they, they, they listed him as an alumnus from Ohio State. Oh, so, oh they did one of those. <laughs> yeah, like um, those, uh, those degrees. The honorary they, degree, yes. yeah. Um, so after dropping out, he opened a business called Jim's Place right across the street from the university, um, and it was described as a place where you could like buy anything, like donuts, hamburgers, stag films. Oh, oh. yeah. Uh, you could place bets, like a gambling, like like just all around good old time yeah. hangouts. <laughs> it's not, well outside of a college is a smart place to put something. Yeah, I like was that. thinking the same yeah. thing. Yeah. So in 1934, Rhodes began to use his position as a local businessman to climb up the Columbus political ladder and became a ward committeeman. Um, a member of the Columbus School Board, the city auditor, and eventually the mayor of Columbus from 1944 to 1952. Wow. Yeah, and it was during this time he got married. Um, and then Rhodes, uh, his time as mayor primarily marked by two achievements, with the first being his convincing of 67% of Columbus voters to approve the, fir- the city's first tax income, or income tax, sorry. And the second being his successful uh, use of water gun diplomacy to annex much of the surrounding community suburbs to columbus so basically oh. uh the uh, surrounding communities grew or were constructed they became they came to require access to the water lines oh. which was under the sole control of the municipal water system so Rhodes told these communities that, that if they wanted water they would have to submit to assimilation into columbus like become part of oh, columbus wow yeah so as a Smart. result of, yeah and as a result of this columbus ohio currently has the largest land area of any ohio city Wow. Yeah, which is also with the income tax. Now we got yes, money, right? Yes. So with an eye on the governorship, Rhodes was elected state auditor in 1952 and took office in early 1953. Um, in 1954, he ran against the popular incumbent Democratic governor, Frank Lausch, and lost by 54 to 46% margin. In 1962, Rhodes ran again for governor, this time against Democratic incumbent Mike DeSalle, and Rhodes' uh, campaign centered on jobs and progress. And in speeches, Rhodes routinely claimed that an increase in jobs would lead to a decrease in everything from crime and divorce and mental illness. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Who knew? Saving the world. And so <laughs> on November 6, 1962, Ohioans voted Rhodes into the governorship with 59% of the vote. Wow. So let's talk about Vietnam. Uh-oh. Okay. So the Vietnam War had escalated under President Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson before Richard Nixon took office in 1968. Yes. Under Johnson, the number of American troops in Vietnam soared from 16,000 when he replaced Kennedy in 1963 to more than 500,000 in 1968 with no tangible results. Mm. Uh, When Nixon was elected in 1968, he promised to end this conflict. However, in November 1969, the My Lai massacre by American troops of between 347 and 504 civilians in a Vietnamese village was exposed, which heightened opposition, especially among younger people around the country. Because their friends are going off, they're potentially being drafted, right? Yes. And all of a sudden they see these bad things that are happening that Americans are responsible for and they don't want to be a part of this. Right. Right. I mean, Um, and they're the ones speaking up because I was thinking about, I was doing this, that, uh, you know, this older generation, they're from World War II. They had this certain pride about the military and being part of it and serving because they were actually fighting real bad guys. Right. You know what I mean? Right. It was about the country coming together and the younger people with their long hair and their and their right. ideas of the government's bad, and then this gets exposed. It like all kind of it was like these yeah. two well, generations. And everything was um, 
everything was was being reported. So they saw right. They saw a lot yes. lately. Yes. That was another piece, right, with television mm-hmm. and and the access to You're those right. images over and over and over, and that, yeah, that I think was a factor as well. You're right. So the nature of the military participation also changed in December 1969 when the first draft lottery since World War II took place. The new procedure eliminated deferments allowed in the prior draft process, leaving many college students and teachers unsure of their immediate futures. Mm. The escalation of the invasion of Cambodia in 1970 angered those who believed it only exacerbated the conflict by enlarging it and invading a neutral sovereign nation. Across the U.S., campuses erupted in protests in what Time magazine called, quote, a nationwide student strike, end quote, setting the stage for the events of May, early May 1970. So protests at Kent State between 1966 and 1970. During the 1966 homecoming parade, protesters walked dressed in military paraphernalia with gas masks. In the fall of 1968, the Students for Democratic uh, for a Democratic Society, also called SDS, and the Campus Black Student Organization staged a sit-in to protest police recruiters on campus. 250 black students walked off campus in a successful amnesty bid for the protesters, Um, On April 1st, 1969, SDS members attempted to enter the administration building with a list of demands where they clashed with the police. In response, the university revoked the Kent State SDS chapter charter. On April 16th, 1969, a disciplinary hearing involving two of the protesters resulted in a confrontation between supporters and opponents of SDS. The Ohio State Highway Patrol was called and 58 people were arrested. Four SDS leaders spent six months in prison as a result of this incident. Um, on April 10th, 1970, Jerry Rubin, a leader of the Youth International Party, also known as the Yippies, spoke on campus. So these guys are a little bit, they're a little, well, let's, let me, let me give you yeah. the quotes. In remarks reported, reported locally, he said, quote, the first part of the Yippie program is to kill your parents. They are the first <laughs> oppressors, end quote. <laughs> I don't think he literally, but you yeah. know, people hear this and right. they start to think crazy things. Um, and a lot of what happened here is rumors, rumors about that the older people heard that was going to happen. And so they took swifter action or harsher action because of rumors that were going around two weeks after that bill Anthrol, an SDS member and former student distributed flyers to an event in which he said he was going to napalm a dog. (laughs) Okay. Again, this is like, (sighs) tensions are things are are happening. And, and, and in in any movement, you have the majority of people who just want things to end and right. want to do things in a peaceful way. And protest, then there's the radical. Yes, yeah, sit-ins. Yeah. And then you have wacky dudes who like feel the same way, but they want to go the extra mile yes, to like, I push mean, it over the edge. Th- there was um, uh, Norman Morrison who, who he set himself on fire in, oh my in God. D.C. and protest to uh, this war, you know, like people. It, it was just a, a, can you imagine anyone doing that today? No. No, you know, um, but so it was just different. Yeah. Like, and it's all these young people riled. Yes. Well, their lives are on the line, right? Yes. Like that's the whole thing. So let's start with this timeline. On Thursday, April 30th, pres- um, in um, President Nixon announced that the Cambodian excur- incursion had been launched by United States combat forces. On Friday, May 1st, at Kent State University, a demonstration with about 500 students was held on May 1st on the Commons, which was a grassy knoll in the center of the campus, traditionally used as a gathering place for rallies or protests. As the crowd dispersed to attend classes by 1 p.m., another rally was planned for May 4th to continue the protests of the expansion of the Vietnam War into Cambodia. 
There was widespread anger and many protest uh, protesters issued a call, a quote call to, uh, uh, excuse me, many protesters issued a call to quote, bring the war home end quote. Mm. A group of history students buried a copy of the United States constitution to symbolize that Nixon had killed it. Again, that's a peaceful protest. There's nothing wrong with that. A sign was put on a tree asking quote, why is the ROTC building still standing? Trouble exploded into in town around midnight when people left a bar and began throwing beer bottles at police cars and breaking windows in downtown storefronts. In the process, they broke, in, they broke a bank window, setting off an alarm. The news spread quickly, and it resulted in several bars closing early to avoid trouble. Before long, more people had joined the vandalism. Mm. By the time the police arrived, a crowd of 120 had already gathered. Some people from the crowd lit a small bonfire in the street. All right, so now, like, just now imagine this mayhem that's yeah. starting, right? The crowd appeared to be a mix of bikers, students, and transient people. Okay, so mostly not students, right? Right. A few members of the crowd began to throw beer bottles at the police and then started yelling obscenities at them. The, Kent, the entire Kent police for, force was called to duty, as well as officers from the county and the surrounding communities. Mm. Kent Mayor Leroy Satram declared a state of emergency, called the office of Ohio Governor Jim Rhodes to Uh-oh. seek assistance, and ordered all of the bars closed. The decision to close the bars early increased the size of the angry crowd. Oh, no. oh now everyone's <laughs> spilling into the streets. Yes. Police eventually succeeded. With alcohol in them. <laughs> yeah, wanting more. Oh, no. Police eventually succeeded in using tear gas, tear gas to disperse the crowd from downtown, forcing them to move several blocks back to the campus. Okay. So Saturday, May 2nd, city officials and downtown businesses received threats and, and rumors pr- proliferated that radical revolutionaries were in Kent to destroy the city and the university. So um, so there's these rumors about rev- radical revolutionaries. So, of course, they think they're dealing with people who are outside of the school and not students, mm. whatever. So several merchants reported they were told that if they did not display anti-war slogans, their businesses would be burned down. Kent's police chief told the mayor that according to a reliable informant, the ROTC building, the local army recruiting station, and post office had been targeted for destruction that night. There were unconfirmed rumors of students with caches of arms, plots to spike the local water supply with LSD, and of cor- and of students building tunnels for the purpose of blowing up the town's main store. Okay, they're okay. building tunnels. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine? Like this is the fear that these I mean, officials are now hearing. Yes, but I, I mean that when once you hear building tunnels, I feel like someone has to take a step back and say, "Wait a minute!" But they don't because I think it's here's the other part. They're yes, all, they're I agree. Just, I mean, it's all ridiculous <laughs> yeah. bullshit. But like the other part too is these adults are for the yes. first time seeing kids like you know eighteen, nineteen, twenty years old going. Fuck you. Yeah. Right. And, and acting. Yeah. Because you're thinking coming out of the 50. Like the They're way not they were. Right. I mean, without. Exactly. Exception to like rebel without a cause or something. But, yes. Um, and there was all of those with the LSD and the water supply. You know, it was like those parties. It was like, who, you know, yeah. who's got it. Right. Yeah. And like all that stuff was going on in the Merry Prankster. So I feel like there's all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, this idea that has been escalated to yes. any kid who has long hair yes and yes, a tie-dye yes. shirt or something of course yeah okay <laughs> you're right so mayor satram or satram met with city kent, kent city officials and a representative of the, of the ohio uh, army national guard following the meeting satram made the decision to call governor rhodes 
and request that the National Guard be sent to Kent, a request that was granted. Mm. Because of the rumors and threats, Satrum believed that local officials would not be able to handle future disturbances. The decision to call in the National Guard was made at 5 p.m., but the Guard did not arrive in town that evening until around 10 p.m. By this time, a large demonstration was underway on the campus, and the campus's uh, Reserve Office Training Corps, the ROTC building, was burning. So... That rumor yes. was uh, confirmed. Well, and there was, was you just said, you said there was the sign, like, why is the building still here? So yes. that, I yeah. mean, that's. Yeah. So I, when I was talking to my mom about that, the story this week, she was at UConn, University of Connecticut during this oh. time. And so there was protests there all the time. And so after <sighs> this, this happened at Kent State, this whole thing that happened, they allowed them to have a day to protest all over the campus and they allowed them to paint the ROTC building. And I was like, paint it. I like, I go like, paint it black. Like, what did you do? Like, they all marched to the ROTC building and they tagged it basically like peace, no war. Aww. And they painted all over the building. Like, that's what they were allowed to do because they were trying to compromise after what happens yes. at Kent State. Yeah, they don't all want. These, yeah, all these camp, all these schools. Now you need to figure out how we can keep, let them do what they want to do. Yes. My only thing is like uh, the whole point of a protest. Now you have like the admin going, okay, yeah. sure. So is it a, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I get the compromise, but yeah, it's, it's, I feel like whenever administrators get involved, when students want to rally, then it's like, well, now you've got permission. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but they had to do something, yeah. right? No, no, no. Yeah. Yes. Cause this, this is crazy. It was a mess. Yeah. yeah. So the arsonists were never apprehended and no one was injured in the fire. According oh to God. the report of the president's commission on campus unrest, information developed by an FBI investigation of the ROTC building fire indicates that of those participated actively, a significant portion weren't Kent state students. Mm. There is also evidence to suggest that the burning was planned beforehand. Uh, railroad f- flares, a machete and ice picks were not, are not customers customarily carried to peaceful rallies so that's what they found in the building yeah that's that's kind of scary yeah i wonder how much money it cost that school to fix that building afterwards to build a whole you know build yeah yeah, it was ashes yeah um Uh. there were reports that some kent firemen and police officers were struck by rocks and other objects while attempting to extinguish the blaze oh no several fire engine companies had to be called because protesters carried the fire hose into the commons and slashed it (gasps) oh Dear God. The National Guard made numerous arrests, mostly for curfew violations and used tear gas. At least one student was slightly wounded with a bayonet. My God, a bayonet. I know. This is What year is this? This is insane. I know. <laughs> okay. Sunday, May 3rd. During a press conference at the Kent Firehouse, an emotional Governor Rhodes pounded on the desk, pounding which can be heard in the recording of this speech. So here's what he said. Ready? Quote, We've seen here at the city of Kent especially probably the most vicious form of campus-oriented violence yet perpetrated by dissident groups. They make definite plans of burning, destroying, and throwing rocks at police and at the National Guard and the Highway Patrol. This is when we're going to use every part of the law enforcement agency of Ohio to drive them out of Kent. We are going to eradicate the problem. We're not going to treat the symptoms, and these people just move from one campus to the other and terrorize the community. They're worse than the brown shirts and communist elements and also the night riders and vigilantes. They're the worst type of people that we harbor in America. Now I want to say this. They are not going to take over the campus. I think that we're up against the strongest well-trained militant revolutionary group that has ever assembled in America. End quote. What? Now he's pounding on a yes. desk. He's he's screaming he's, this. He's, okay. He's gone over the edge. And this is also the kind of thing that 
gets people riled, right? Like who's against these protesters who this is what they're hearing. And now they're the government. And the governor has confirmed that, that this is this dangerous Supreme militia. Yes. And it instills fear in people, right? So Rhodes claimed that he would cut. Yeah. He, he claimed he would obtain a court order declaring a state of emergency that would banned further demonstrations and gave the impression that a situation akin to martial law had been declared. However, he never attempted to obtain such an order. During the day, some students came to downtown Kent to help clean up with cleanup efforts after the rioting um, and actions which were met with mixed reactions from local businessmen. Right now they're scared of students. I know. Mayor Satram, under pressure from frightened citizens, ordered a curfew until further notice. Around 8 p.m., another rally was held on the campus commons. By 8.45, the guardsmen used tear gas to disperse the crowd, and the students reassembled at the intersection of Lincoln and Maine, holding a sit-in with the hopes of gaining a meeting with Mayor Satram and University President Robert White. At 11 p.m., the guard announced that a curfew had gone into effect and began forcing the students back to their dorms. A few students were bayoneted by guardsmen. My God. So now we get to Monday, May 4th. This is the day, what we're leading up to, right, in this, yeah. in this story. So on Monday, May 4th, a protest was scheduled to be held at noon, um, ha- as had been planned er- three days earlier. University officials attempted to ban the gathering, handing out 12,000 leaflets stating that the event had been canceled. Despite these efforts, an estimated 2,000 people gathered on the university's commons near Taylor Hall. The protest began with the ringing of the campus's Iron Victory Bell, which had been historically used to signal victories in football games, to mark the beginning of the rally, and the first protester began to speak. Companies A and C, the 145th Infantry and Troop G of the 107th Armored Cavalry Ohio National Guard, the units on the campus ground, attempted to disperse the students. Mm. The dispersal process began late in the morning with campus patrolman Harold Rice riding in a National Guard jeep, approaching the students to read an order to disperse of, um, to disperse or face arrest. The protesters responded by throwing rocks, striking one campus patrolman, and forcing the jeep to retreat. Just before noon, the guard returned and again ordered the crowd to disperse. When most of the crowd refused, the guard used tear gas. Because of the wind... The tear gas had little effect in dispersing the crowd. Some launched a second volley of rocks towards the guards' line and chanted, Pigs off campus. Mm. The students lobbed the tear gas canisters back at the National Guardsmen who wore gas masks. There's a great picture of this, too, a kid throwing one of these canisters. Um, When it became clear that the crowd was not going to disperse, a group of 77 National Guard troops from A Company and Troop G with bayonets fixed on their M1 Garand Mm. rifles began to advance upon the hundreds of protesters. I mean, these are children. Yeah. I mean, they're not children, but they're, they're and young, it's a, and young it's people. A, it's a university yeah. campus in the United States of America, yeah. right? It's teenagers, young people. Yeah. As the guardsmen advanced, the protesters retreated up, the, up and over Blanket Hill, heading out of the commons area. Once over the hill, the students in a loose group moved northeast along the front of Taylor Hall, with some continuing toward a parking lot in front of Prentice Hall. So it's like northeast or of, of where Taylor Hall was. The guardsmen uh, pursued the protesters over the hill, but rather than veering left as the protesters had, they continued straight heading toward an athletic practice field enclosed by a chain link fence. Here they remained for about 10 minutes, unsure of how to get out of the area short of retracing their path. So they're kind of like backed into like a dead end. Yes. Right? And they don't, they're not familiar with the campus. Right. The way and they the had kind of are. like yeah. boxed themselves in there. 
Um, oh, goodness. During this time, the bulk of the students congregated to the left and front of the guardsmen, approximately 150 to 220 feet, 25 feet away on the veranda of Taylor Hall. Others were scattered between Taylor Hall and the Prentice Hall parking lot, while still others were standing in the parking lot or dispersing through the lot as they had been previously ordered, like leaving, right? Yeah. While on the practice field, the guardsmen generally faced at the generally faced at the parking lot, which was about 100 yards away. At one point, some of them knelt and aimed their weapons towards the parking lot, then stood up again. You know, like, yes, you know, towards pointing it towards the crowd, scaring them. Yeah. Um, at an, at, at another point, the guardsmen formed a loose huddle and appeared to be talking to one another. They had cleared the protesters from the commons area and many students had left, but some stayed and were still angrily confronting the soldiers, some throwing rocks and tear gas canisters. Mm. About 10 minutes later, the guardsmen began to retrace their steps back up the hill toward the commons area. Okay. So now they're leaving this like little corner that they were stuck in, right? Some of the students on Taylor Hall veranda began to move slowly towards the soldiers as they passed over the top of the hill and headed back into the commons. During their climb back to Blanket Hill, several guardsmen stopped and half turned to keep their eyes on the students in the Prentice Hall parking lot. At 1224 p.m., according to eyewitnesses, a sergeant named Myron Pryor turned and began firing at the crowd of students with his 45 pistol. A number of guardsmen nearest the students also turned and fired their rifles at the students. Oh my God. In all, at least 29 of the 77 guardsmen claimed to have fired their weapons using an estimate of 67 rounds of ammunition. God. The shooting was determined to have lasted 13 seconds, according to John Kiffner report, as when he reported in the New York Times that, quote, it appeared to go on as a solid volley for, a pa- for perhaps a full minute or a little longer. The question of why the shots were fired remains widely debated. The commanding general of the Ohio National Guard told reporters that a sniper had fired on the guardsmen, which remains a, a debated sniper. allegation. Could you imagine? <sighs> okay. Many guardsmen later testified uh, that they wait, were... Aren't the kids in an open area? Where's yes! the sniper at? Girl, please. <laughs> and the first shot was from them. Like That was yes. the first shot. That's what everyone that was there said. Many guardsmen later testified that they were in fear of their lives, which was questioned partly because of the distance between them and the students that were killed or wounded. Time magazine later concluded that, quote, triggers were not pulled accidentally at Kent State, end quote. The president's commission on campus unrest avoided probing the question of why the shootings happened. Instead, it harshly criticized both the protesters and the guardsmen, but it concluded that, quote, the indiscriminate firing of rifles into a crowd of students and the deaths that followed were unnecessary, unwarranted, and inexcusable, end quote. So here's a couple of eyewitness accounts. Uh, <sighs> quote, suddenly they turned around, got on their knees as if they were ordered to. They did it all together, aimed, and personally, I was standing I was standing there saying, they're not gonna, going to shoot. They can't do that. If they are going to shoot, it's going to be fucked basically blank yes. it said blank but it's fucked end quote another uh, person said quote the shots were definitely coming my way because when a bullet passes your head it makes a crack i hit the ground behind the curve the curb looking over i saw a student hit he stumbled and fell to where he was running towards the car another oh. student tried to pull him behind the car bullets were coming through the windows of the car as this student fell behind the car i saw another student go down next to the curb on the far side of the automobile, maybe 25 to 30 yards uh, from where I was lying, it was 25, 30, 35 seconds of sporadic firing. The firing stopped. I lay there maybe 10 or 15 seconds. I got up. I saw four or five students lying around the lot. By this time, it was like mass hysteria. Students were crying. They were screaming for ambulances, end quote. Oh, 
my God. I mean, they're in the parking lot. These are the kids that were leaving. Yeah. Yes. Another witness was Chrissy Hind, the future lead singer of The Pretenders. Did you know she was there? I had no idea. And she's a student at Kent State. Oh. The middle of the road. Oh, my God. In her 2015 autobiography, she described what she saw. Quote, then I heard the ta-ta-ta-ta-tat sound. I thought it was fireworks. An eerie sound fell over the common. The quiet felt like gravity pulling us to the ground. Then a young man's voice said, quote, they're, they're fucking killing somebody. Everybody slowed down and the silence got heavier. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is slow motion. If we're talking 35 seconds yes. to a minute, that that's how fast. I mean, they talk about the shooting at, at Marjorie Stoneman oh. Douglas. Four, 17 people in six minutes. He I was know. in that building for six minutes, oh Tina. Gosh. That's it. That's it. Which must have felt like forever, yeah. right? Okay, so after the shootings, immediately after the shootings, many angry students were ready to launch an all-out attack on the National Guard. Many faculty members, led by geology professor and faculty marshal Glenn Frank, pleaded with the students to leave the commons and to not give in to the violent escalation. He said, quote, I don't care whether you've listened to anyone before in your lives. I'm begging you right now. If you don't disperse right now, they're going to move in and it can only be a slaughter. Would you listen to me? Jesus Christ, I don't want to be a part of this, end quote. After 20 minutes of speaking, the students left the commons as ambulance personnel tended to the wounded and the guard left the area. Professor Frank's son, um, also present that day, said he absolutely saved my life and hundreds of others. Wow. I know. Um, Of those wounded, none none was closer than 71 feet to the guardsmen. 71 feet, Tina. No, of that's those, not, you're not threatened. Yeah, of those killed, the nearest was 265 feet away, and their average distance from the guardsmen was 345 feet. Yeah, no. They have <sighs> weapons. Yeah. Give me a break. I know. Just keep walking over the hill. Yeah. Okay. Um, he, so, you know what? Somebody said something. Some kids said something, and it pissed him off. That's what I think. Or it's yeah, one or, of those things where know, they say, I, oh, somebody's got something. Someone's pulling something out of their pants. Maybe somebody that looked in, in peripheral vision and thought like they saw something. something. Who, no, although it's never brought up. Right. It's never brought up. But they're the national, they're trained though. I know. You know, they have the training to, they're supposed to be able to recognize that and de-escalate yeah. situations, not escalate situations. Right. So let's. The four people killed were oh. Jeffrey Glenn Miller, who was 265 feet away. He was shot through the mouth and killed instantly. <gasps> Allison B. Krause was 343 feet away. She was uh, fatally shot um, in, in the left part of her chest, and she died later that day. William Knox Schroeder was 382 feet away. He was also shot in the chest, and he died almost an hour later in a local hospital after he underwent surgery, and he was also a member of the campus ROTC battalion. Uh, Sandra Lee Schuer, she was 390 feet away, and she died from a fatal neck wound, and she died from loss of blood right there at the scene. So wounded, Joseph Lewis Jr., 71 feet away. He was hit twice, once in the abdomen and once in the lower leg. Oh, my God. So these are all shoot shots that could have been deaths as well, yes. right? John Cleary was 110 feet away. He was shot in the upper left chest. Thomas Mark Grace, 225 feet away. Alan Michael Confori was 225 feet away. Dean Caller was 300 feet away. Douglas Allen Brentmore was 329 feet away. James Dennis Russell was 375 feet away. Um, and They're not nowhere near these guys. No. Robert Stamps was 495 feet oh. away. 
and Donald Scott McKenzie was 700 feet away, 750 feet away. That's a lot. That's really far. It's very far. And where are you shooting at that point? Like where, you know, you shouldn't have a target. There's no target here. It's just like randomly shooting out into a crowd. You know what I mean? He was probably had left this last guy, right? Oh my. And so then it was noted that all the students that were shot, all those that were shot were students that were in good standing at the university. These weren't like bad kids. Right. You know, these were kids that were there for good intentions to protest. They yes. weren't there. It's your First Amendment and they right. Weren't, and they weren't revolution, radical revolutionaries. Dicks. Oh, my God. Okay. So although newspaper reports had inaccurately stated that a number of National Guard members had been killed or seriously oh, injured, only please. one guardsman, Lauren Schaefer, was injured enough to require medical treatment about 10 to 15 minutes prior to the shootings. That's where stuff starts to get twisted. Oh, well, right. they were shooting at the National Guard, too, right? Right. The kids were bad. It's the kid. No, no. Um, Schaefer is also mentioned in an FBI um, memo from November 15th, 1973, which was pre- prepared by the Cleveland office, is now referred to as the field office file number 44703. It reads as, quote, upon contacting appropriate officers at the Ohio National Guard regarding ONG radio logs and the avail- availability of, of service record books, the respective ONG officer advised that any inquiries concerning the Kent State University incident should be directed to the commanding general in Columbus, Ohio. Three persons were interviewed regarding a reported conversation between Sergeant Lawrence Schaefer that Schaefer had bragged about, quote, taking a bead out on Jeffrey Miller at the time of the shooting. Mm. So that means taking, I had to look it up. It means I'm going to shoot that guy. Like, I'm okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, he purposely was shooting specific not that he knew the guy, right. but that he was going, all right, I'm going to shoot this guy. This like, yes. As this was happening, he was purposely going after certain people. It in the was crowd. probably people that said stuff or, you know what I mean? Maybe, that, that, yeah. that pissed him off. Yes. But it wasn't like it was for a command anymore. It'd become something else. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, okay. So the aftermath photographs of the dead and wounded at Kent state that were distributed in newspapers and periodicals worldwide amplified sentiment against the United States invasion of Cambodia and the Vietnam war in general, in particular, the camera of Kent state photojournalism student, John Philo captured a 14 year old runaway, Marianne Vecchio screaming over the dead body of Jeffrey Miller, who had been shot in the mouth. That picture will be in our um, Instagram notes or Instagram pictures. Um, the photograph, which won a Pulitzer Prize, became the most enduring image of the events and one of the more enduring images of the anti-Vietnam War movement. The shootings led to protests on college campuses throughout the United States and a student strike, causing more than 450 campuses across the country to close with both violent and nonviolent demonstrations. A common sentiment was expressed by students at New York University with a banner hung out of a window that read, quote, they can't kill us all, end quote. Mm. Oh, so good. Oh, my God. That's awful. On May 8th, 11 people were bayoneted at the University of New Mexico at the New Mexico by the New Mexico National Guard in a confrontation with student protesters. Also on May 8th, an anti-war protest at New York's Federal Hall National Memorial held at the least partly uh, at least partly in reaction to the Kent State killings was met with a counter rally of pro Nixon construction workers organized by Peter J. Brennan, later appointed U.S. Labor Secretary by President Nixon. Shortly after the shootings took place, the Urban Institute conducted a national study that concluded that Kent State shootings was the first nationwide student strike in U.S. history. Over four million students protested and hundreds of American colleges and universities closed during the student strikes. 
The Kent State campus remained closed for six weeks. Just five days after the shootings, 100,000 people demonstrated in Washington, D.C. against the war and the killing of unarmed student protesters. Ray Price, Nixon's chief speechwriter from 1969 to 74, recalled that Washington, the Washington demonstration saying, quote, the city was an armed camp. The mobs were smashing windows, slashing tires, dragged parked cars and into intersections, even throwing bed springs off overpasses into the into the traffic down below. This was the quote student protest, the quote student protest. That's not student protest. That's civil war. End quote. I don't think he's familiar with what no. a civil with civil war was, <laughs> yeah. but okay. And uh, again, we've seen this now. This isn't th- you know the the sixties, the seventies. Right. We still use this language today to describe people who don't like what the government's doing. Right? right. We want to describe the worst of all these things. Oh, they're mobs. They're not mobs. Right. They're people who are against you invading a country and killing innocent people. Well, and in a war that doesn't seem to have an objective. Right. Right. In a war that what's the gain at the end of the day? Yes. Um, And I I think that's the issue. And the same thing, you know, later on, like when we had the war, you know, the war on terror, Mm -hmm. like after 9-11. Yes. And you can't have a war on an idea. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like this idea of terror and terrorism. Like what is, you know what I mean? Like you, you, we can't fight that ideology Mm -hmm. in these other countries. And then you look back on it and you see, well, there was an objective, right? That's right. tied to oil. And, and that we're not even in the countries that we're supposed to, and it's all of this other stuff, but we're going to, we're going to use this euphemism mm-hmm. and call it the war on terror. Right. Like we're doing something good, but you, you can't fight ideologies with like weapons and flying over somewhere. Like that's it, at least in my mind, like you can't do that. You're absolutely right, though. You're right. So it's just, it boggles the mind. But with that Vietnam War, it's so much good literature. If you haven't read Tim O'Brien's The Things They Carried, Mm. it's so good. Um, And he was was a writer that was there, and this is um, fictional, but he's, it's very meta because he's like, you know, I'm going to tell you a true story, you know, Mm. but it's a work of fiction. But the scenes out of that book are just... Um, some of them very awful and just the lasting effects of that war. And then there's a chapter where he's like in the middle, it's, he's in the middle of the river and he's deciding like, do I go to Canada? Mm. Do I fight this war? It's on the rainy river. It's, it's a little section. So good. And then he ends up going, but it's, it's very graphic, descriptive, but really good. Yeah. We lost a generation, you know, a good part of that generation is gone from this war, you know? And the people who came back and yes, and how they were treated and yeah. how they, you know, their Ugh. mental health and, you know, cause we don't talk, we didn't talk about it then. We don't really talk about it now when it comes to yeah. military and mental health. It's it's Ooh. so much. I know. And then I think the other thing though, that's disappointing is that some of those hippies like turned into like eighties mm. yuppies yeah. and lost all of that fire. Yes. Cause it all went to money. Yeah. All right. If you can't beat them, join them. Right. <laughs> okay. So not only was the president taken to Camp David for two days for his own protection, but Charles Colson, who was his uh, counsel at the time, his attorney, stated that the military was called up to protect the Nixon administration from the angry students. 
President Nixon and his administration's public reaction to the shootings was perceived by many in the anti-war movement as callous. On uh, May 9th, 1970, the president met with about 30 student dissidents conducting a vigil at the Lincoln Memorial, whereupon Nixon, quote, treated them to a clumsy and condescending monologue, which he made public in an awkward attempt to display his benevolence, end quote. <sighs> I don't even know what to say. I know. <laughs> Listen, kids, uh, you know, yeah. oh, it's supposed to be over here, and I'm really sorry. Yeah, uh, blah, give me blah, a blah. break. A Gallup poll was taken the day after the shootings reportedly showed that 58% of respondents blamed the students, 11% blamed the National Guard, and 31% expressed no opinion. So the majority of the... People said it was the students' fault. Yeah. Shut up and do your work and move on. Yeah. Like, don't don't make any noise. Hit the books, kids. Yeah. However, there was a wide discussion as to whether there were... And don't. And by the way, and don't say anything when we send you off to yeah. what is probably going to be your death. However, there was a wide discussion as to whether there were legally justified shootings of American citizens and whether the protests or the decisions to ban them were constitutional. Students from Kent State and other universities often got a hostile reaction upon returning home. Right. So when they would go home to their parents from school, <laughs> some were told that more students should have been killed to teach student protesters oh, a lesson. Okay. Some students were disowned by their families. <laughs> On May 14th, 10 days after the Kent State shootings, two students were killed and 12 wounded by police at Jackson State University, a historical black university in Jackson, Mississippi, under similar circumstances. This Jackson State killings... Um, in the, what they called the Jackson State killings. But that event did not arouse the same nationwide attention as the Kent State shootings. I wonder oh, why. Oh, God. I hate, I hate everything. On, um, <laughs> yeah. On July 3rd, I'm sorry, on June 13th, 1970, a consequence of the killings of protesting students at Kent State and Jackson State, President Nixon established the President's Commission of Campus Unrest, known as the Scranton Commission, which he charged to study the dissent, disorder, and violence breaking out on colleges, college and university campuses across the nation. They need a study. Could you imagine? Can, just have Get, a conversation. Yeah. It's not Can that hard to study? understand. I feel like it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, you are running a corrupt and dangerous <laughs> oh and God. probably e completely illegal war. And you're sending us to die for for this oh reason. My God. You're sending us home in record numbers to die. I like wonder what? how much money they spent on putting, putting oh a, a whole committee and doing a study. <laughs> Oh, dear Lord. God, the, the bureaucracy. I know. The commission issued its findings in a September 1970 report that concluded the Ohio National Guard shootings on May 4th, 1970 were unjustified. That's what Surprise. the study found. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. Uh, the report said, quote, even if the guardsmen faced danger, it was not a danger that called for lethal force. The 61 shots by 28 guardsmen certainly cannot be justified. Apparently, no order to fire was given, and there was inadequate, I'm sorry, there, and there was inadequate fire control discipline on Blanket Hill. The Kent State tragedy must mark the last time that, as a matter of course, loaded rifles are issued to guardsmen confronting student demonstrators, end quote. I mean, come on. These are I trained. Can, I can't these imagine are trained adults with the National Guard. Yeah, and I can't imagine <laughs> that anybody thought that that was going to happen, right? Like, oh, we'll send the National Guard. It'll scare the shit out of them, right? And they'll back down. But the kids are like, like the yeah. one girl. They're not going to shoot. Yeah. So right. Okay. Okay. So legal action in September 1970, 24 students and one faculty member identified from photographs were indicted on charges connected with the May 4th demonstration at the ROTC building, uh, at the ROTC building fire that was three days before mm. they became known as quote, the Kent 25. 
The Kent Legal Defense Fund was organized to provide legal resources to oppose the indictments. Um, five cases, all related to the burning of the ROTC building, went to trial. One student defendant was convicted on one charge. Two other non-students pleaded guilty. Um, one other defendant was acquitted, and charges were dismissed against the last. Mm. In December 1971, all charges against the remaining 20 were dismissed for lack of evidence. A grand jury indicted five guardsmen on federal felony charges. Lawrence Schaefer, James McPhee, uh, James Pierce, William Perkins, and Ralph Zoller were all indicted from Good. the shooting. Um, and then these these uh, guardsmen were brought up on misdemeanor charges. Barry Morse, uh, Morris, uh, Leon Smith, Matthew McManus, and... Uh, okay, so yeah, just those three. Um, and then the guardsmen claimed to have fire, fired in self-defense testimony that was generally accepted by the criminal justice system. Yeah. On November 8th, 1974, U.S. District Judge Frank Batista, or Batista, yeah, Batisti, dismissed civil rights charges against all of the accused on the basis that the prosecution's case did not warrant a trial. Quote, it is vital that state and National Guard officials not regard this decision as authorizing or approving the use of force against demonstrators. Whatever the occasion of the issue involved, such use of force is and was deplorable, end quote. Civil actions were also attempted against the guardsmen, the state of Ohio and the president of Kent State. The f federal court civil action for wrongful death and injury brought by the victims and their families uh -huh. against Governor Rhodes, the president of Kent State, and the National Guardsmen resulted in unanimous verdicts for all defendants on all claims and after an 11-week trial. The judgment of those verdicts was reversed by the Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit on the ground that the federal trial judge had mishandled an out-of-court threat against a juror. <sighs> so they these defendants want, or, you know. Yeah, the, they the want, but... Yeah. On remand, oh. the civil case was settled in return for payment of a total of $675,000 to all plaintiffs by the state of Ohio um, and the defendant's agreement to state publicly that they regretted what had happened. So here's what their, here's their quote. These guys, the governor, the school, Ugh. the National Guard. Quote, in retrospect, the tragedy of May 4th, 1970 should not have occurred. The students may have believed that they were in right in ha they were right in continuing their math, the ma their mass protests in response to the Cambodian invasion. Even though this protest followed the posting and reading by the university of an order to ban rallies and an order to disperse. These orders have since been determined by the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals to have been lawful. Some of the guardsmen of Blanket Hill, fearful and anxious from prior events, may have believed in their own minds that their lives were in danger. Hindsight suggests that another method would have resolved the confrontation. Better ways must be found to deal with such a confrontation. We devoutly wish that a means had been found to avoid the May 4th events, culminating in the guard shootings and the irreversible deaths and injuries. We deeply regret those events and are profoundly saddened by the deaths of four students and the, the wounding of nine others, which resulted. I mean, a little too little too late. Yeah. And this incident forced National Guard to reexamine their methods of crowd control. Oh, my God. <laughs> the only equipment the Guardsmen had to disperse demonstrators were the M1 uh, Garand rifles loaded with uh, ammunition and pump shotguns and bayonets and gas grenades. Like, that's what they were given, right? Um, in the years that followed, the U.S. Army began developing less lethal means of dispersing demonstrators, such as, like, rubber bullets. Right. Um, and charged its crowd control and riot taxes tactics to attempt to avoid casualties among the demonstrators oh good mm. 
Many of the crowd control changes brought on by the Kent State events are used today by police and military forces in the United States when facing similar situations. One outgrowth of the events were the Center for Peaceful Change established at Kent State University in 1971 as a living memorial to the events of May 4, 1970. Now known as the Center for Applied Conflict Management, it developed it developed one of the earliest conflict resolution undergraduate degree programs in the United States. The Institute of, for the Study of Prevention and Prevention of Violence, an interdisciplinary program dedicated to violence prevention, was established in 1998. So after Kent State, Governor Man. Rhodes, this is insane, Governor Rhodes ran for the U.S. Senate in 1970 and narrowly lost to U.S. Representative Robert Taft Jr. in the primary mm. election, which was two days after the Kent State shooting, that election. <laughs> Rhodes was, uh, as he was governor too, this is kind of a little side note, he pardoned the boxing promoter Don King for a non-negligent manslaughter conviction of stomping on one of his employees to death and for the shooting of a man in the back. Remember when Don King? Oh my God. He pardoned him. (laughs) I know. So here's the craziest thing about this guy. Since the Ohio Constitution limits the governor to two four-year terms, when Rhodes initially filed to run again in 1974, his petitions were refused by the Secretary of State, right? Like, right. you've already been the governor. Yeah. Rhodes sued, and the Ohio Supreme Court ruled that the limitation on consecutive terms was the, that the limitation was on consecutive terms, thus freeing him to return to office by narrowly defeating incumbent John Gilligan in an upset in the 1974 no. election. So he served those two terms. Took a took gap. A, he took a gap. They were consecutive, so <laughs> uh. he can run again. He served two more terms before retiring again in 1983. Rhodes sought to run for governorship again in 1986, seeking a record number, a record breaking fifth term, but soundly lost to the incumbent Dick Celeste, whom Rhodes had narrowly defeated in the last successful gubernatorial bid in 1978. Rhodes died in Columbus on March 4th, 2001, and he's interned at the Green Lawn Cemetery in Columbus, Ohio. Wow. Another one of our friends who like cannot stop running for office. Yes. Cannot stop. And even after he was the governor and yes. ordered the National Guard, made yes. this horrible speech about students. And yes. Up, he was reelected in Ohio. Well, it was what, 58% of the people blamed yes. the students. So yes. those are the 58% voting for yes. him. Yes. <laughs> Can you imagine? It's, oh my God, oh, Tina. These people. <sighs> the story is just. I just remember, and I don't remember what campus that the photo is from. The, the girl putting the, the flower yes. and the gun. Like that's like yes. the iconic yes. iconic picture from that era. I think that was like a UCLA. I, I was going to say, I bet it was like it was a California. California. <laughs> but all right. Well, today I'm going to tell you the story of former judge of Alabama's mm. 16th Circuit Court and former chief justice to the Alabama Supreme Court, Roy Moore. Oh, my gosh. Wait a minute. Ooh. Did he run for office? He did. <gasps> for Go. Do it. Oh, my God. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, my God. Oh, Tina. This is so <laughs> this good. Guy, this guy. Oh this guy. God. Dear God. So I got, um, and I, you know, we have all of our notes, but I got a lot of stuff from uh, CNN. has like this law center um, thing that they do. So I got articles from there, a ton of articles from Time Magazine and a lot from the New York Times, so um, and a lot of other places. So please, please, please check out our sources. So Roy Moore served as circuit judge from 1992 to 2000, and he served two separate turns on the Alabama Supreme Court. And in 2017, he made a run 
before the U.S. Senate. Mm. But when <laughs> women came forward accusing Moore of sexual misconduct, conservative Christian warrior Moore faced the consequences of his less than righteous behavior. Yep. So our story takes place, um, he's primarily from Etowah County in Alabama, and that's like the northeast part of the state, northeastern part of the state, and that part of the state just has this really bad history of racism, discrimination, Mm. it's just... I mean, I hear Alabama and I feel that way, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I know there's probably a lot of really great people in Alabama, but that's what I hear. Yes, could you, I like the thought of... Again, no offense, but the thought of like living in a state like Alabama, mm-hmm. it just well, makes me so anxious and nervous and yes, upset. But <laughs> if I lived in Northern Florida, I would feel the same way. Yes. You know, I mean, I, we're, yes. we're very, for us at least, it's nice to live Thank in a God. South Florida where it's blue as can be. Like I, yeah. if I lived in Northern Florida, it'd be, it would be insane. Oh my God. No. Just all the billboard. They have the craziest Ugh. billboards. No, no, like, no, no. Like taking, um, uh, we went to uh, Disney and on the way there, there was a billboard and it was a, a woman like with a, with a, like a, uh, AR-15 or something on the billboard. Yes. It's like, take your family to the gun range. Yes, you can shoot family these- day. And I'm yes, like, what? they have who? Because looks around at that and goes, yeah, that's a great thing to I do. I think a lot family. of people, to be honest, because they do, they have Disney World and around Disney World yeah. are all those little extra like fun places you can go do things. And yes. one of them is where you can take your family <clears> to shoot these huge yes. rifles. Yes. No, oh, thanks. Girl, please. No. Okay. Sorry. All right. So before I go into details about that uh, Senate run, I want to give you some background because this guy from the beginning, you know, uh, is, 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 I think he's radical Mm. and, um, but in, in a bad way. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, but, but like your story, people keep electing him. Mm -hmm. And so, we're going to look at his career as a circuit court judge, and we're going to look at him as a member of the Alabama Supreme Court. And there was a New York Times article that uh, quoted, so when all of the sort of scandalous stuff came out, a former high school peer said that Moore was in high school, quote, known as a real bragger who acted like the smartest person in the classroom. Ugh, so God, it was worst. like, yeah, so he's that guy. And that just, when you look at, his history like that's him like he thinks he knows everything and his way is the right way Mm. and that's what you know um it's that ego problem yeah so as circuit court judge Moore was appointed to the 16th circuit court in 1992 and here's where we first start to see Moore rule with what met with some which i see really as a religious bias and so this is how he and and he's a judge and so this is where for me is really sticky because you're supposed to be impartial yeah. and he brings his religion into everything. And so one of the first things, um, some older articles around that time where he first gets some media attention is he um, makes, he puts this plaque up in his office of the 10 commandments. Mm-mm. Okay. Or in the courtroom. And according in to the courtroom, mm-hmm. oh girl, no. So according to a 1997 Christian Science Monitor article by Elizabeth Spade, Moore not only displayed the pa- plaque, but he actually carved the plaque with his very own hands. Oh my god! <laughs> and and <laughs> has that hanging. And prior to jury selections, he would bring in a Christian clergy member to lead the the group in prayer. What the fuck in court? 
No, 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 no. Can this you is, imagine? This is insane. And Come on. So, and this is very problematic because if, and, and, and so the whole, some of the articles I read, he's sort of like, well, if someone doesn't want to sit during prayer, they can leave. And the people who want to stay during prayer can, can stay. But it's very awkward if you're part of the jury pool and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to step out of the room. And now I'm so, like, you're, you're made to feel you're forcing people into awkward. do yes and your yeah. religion yes imagine if it was like a buddhist monk like all right guys right people would flip oh, out of course they would so the aclu attempts to stop this practice at the time um and his acts were deemed unconstitutional by a court but he was granted a state order by the alabama supreme court until it could be heard again and in the end uh, there was an article by kent falk who uh, for alabama.com um, where he noted that ultimately these cases were dismissed. Wow. So there he is. I mean, bringing, he would bring clergymen to the court wow. regularly. No, 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 no. It's making me prayer. very uncomfortable. I mean, and even to have to see the Ten Commandments on the wall. Um, and I have a great picture. It's just like a young picture of him and it's his little carved plaque. Oh, girl, no. So that's as the, the circuit court judge. Um, and then he gets elected in 2001 to the state Supreme Court. So now he's on that Alabama Supreme mm. Court. And he gets is, elected to it? Okay, yes. yes because, okay, yes. Yes, yes, yes. And so this is state Supreme Court take one. So because he gets kicked off. <laughs> the <laughs> first there's time. There's a take one and there's, there's a take a, two. And then there's a take two because oh he got God. elected again. This is crazy. So in 2001, he wins and he has this to say. And again, this is according to Kent Falk. God's law will be publicly acknowledged in our court. That's what he says when he wins. God's law will be publicly acknowledged in our court. So he's elected in 2001, but he's removed by 2003. 2001 and he's saying this. 2001, yes. But it's not even, I mean, people who are legal minds, they know that you don't do this. This is not okay. So remember the little Ten Commandments that he had? Well. Oh, now he wants one in there too. Oh, how about a 2.6 ton version of one? Excuse <laughs> me? Like marble? Like man, I don't... Girl, stop it! <laughs> Tina. Did he so, carve that with his own hands too? Yeah. No, Could he you had imagine that commission. Him? Could you imagine him with a commission like, and paid for? <gasps> no! Yes. Tina, this is... Tina, yeah. stop. <laughs> Am I drunk? Am I high? What are you... Is this what kind of a story is this? Uh, it's the... So 2003, he ends up getting removed because he has this inability to separate <laughs> church and state. But he really, really believes this is the thing. Yeah. He believes that our country was founded on religion. Mm -hmm. He honestly, like, this is his true belief. But but we're not a theocracy. It's freedom, though. (laughs) He forgot that second part of it. So according to a Washington Examiner article by Adler, Moore commissioned a monument for the federal building that would symbolize, quote, the moral foundation of the law. (laughs) (laughs) And the 2.6 ton <laughs> monument was complete with the Ten Commandments, among other things. So it's this oh, wait, huge what thing. Else? But what there's, else? I, I don't remember, but but I have a picture of it, and it's huge. A wife will listen right? to her husband. Oh, yeah, I oh, know. Wait till later on his ideas about women. <laughs> oh, I can't imagine. So now people complained, of course, and they yeah. sue because Good. they say like this type of religious monument should not be in a judicial building, right? It violates the First Amendment. And a federal district court agreed and asked for the statue's removal. And here is where he faces trouble. He refuses. He's well, like, yeah. no, we're not. We're not removing it. Of course it. not. 
So, um, of course, they have to go in and, like, physically remove <laughs> the monument. And he later claims, and this is the thing, he is the victim <laughs> all of the time. Yeah. Right? He's persecuted for his faith all of the time. So he claims he's ousted because of the statue and his religion. Right? But it's not. It's because he refused to comply with federal orders to remove a statue off of right the the right. judicial area. That's right. why. But he doesn't say that. It's because I'm persecuted. I have this belief in God. No one's letting me sort of practice my belief. But you can. That's so. Here's the thing that I always get confused about these stories is that, you know, again, being a legal mind, the elite, the law is very black and white and when it's a little bit gray it goes all the way up to the u.s supreme court right. and we got to get this thing figured out right yes. like so your ideas and who you are sitting in a courtroom in a local level or in a on a state supreme court sh those things should not be coming into this they should not they can't be influence you guiding your your views it should be based on what the law is right and but, not your personal beliefs and that but, is frightening but his belief is that our laws are based on religion. He, it's just, so, it's just, just not right though. Like, where did he learn that? Well, I mean, it's crazy. It's, religious freedom. Yeah, we're religious, but right. religious freedom. He has, and, and I'll go into it, but he has like a website um, that has like documents. He has historical documents that he tries to use as evidence of how we are founded on religion. So the like, other this thing is how far he pushes it. But the other thing that's really weird about, about people like this too is, why are you the only one here doing this, right? right. Like, why aren't all the judges doing it? Right. Like, do, think for a second about why it's only you fighting for this. Maybe well, you're wrong and everyone he, else is right. Well, he's the religious crusader fighting for God. It's the second coming. Yeah. <laughs> so according to a CNN law article, when they removed the statue in November 2003, Moore had this to say, it is a sad day in our country when the moral foundation of our law and the acknowledgement of God has to be hidden from public view to appease a federal judge. Hmm. So then the very next day that the statue is removed, he is removed from office. Oh my so, gosh. Um, and it's by his fellow, fellow judges. I was going to say, what, what are the yeah. other court judge, Supreme yeah. Court judges so doing? They basically said he placed himself and his beliefs above the law and like, sorry, yes. you got to go. Yes. So, all he had to do was remove the statue, right? But he didn't do it. And it's that part, right, that he is violating that order. Yes. And so he's out. So state Supreme Court, take two. So in 2012, he runs and he wins another seat wow. on the Alabama State Supreme Court. Wow. The voters, right? It's like we can't control who people vote for. And they, it's, they voted for him. Right. So, square, I suppose. So like his prior experience, he doesn't see the end of his, um, he doesn't see the end of this term because he gets kicked out again. Oh my God. Yes. Stop, <laughs> Tina. Stop it. I'm serious. If he makes and commissions another two ton No, no, tablet. this is worse. Okay. So, um, religion is to blame again. And this time he uses his so-called religious beliefs to attack the LGBTQ oh, community. Bitch. No. And similar to our buddy Kim Davis that you covered in episode 22, our last episode, he um, gets other judges. 21, to, 21. Episode 21. Uh, episode 21. I'm yeah. sorry. No, you're good. Um, back in episode 21, um, he gets other judges to not issue same-sex marriage licenses. Mm. So, and it's coming from that... Uh, Supreme Court ruling, right? Wow. The Ober, uh, Ober Jafel versus Hodges. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
basically, again, according to this, Kent Falk did all these amazing articles, and he says that Moore tells the probate judges, right, and these are civil court judges, okay, that, quote, they have a ministerial duty not to issue any marriage license contrary to the Alabama Sanctity of Marriage Amendment or the Alabama Marriage Protection Act. So he's using those state laws saying that they trump the Supreme Court. Could you imagine? Right? But the Supreme Court, as you know, because we cover this with Kim Davis, um, the Supreme Court struck down the state bans. Mm. And so those don't count anymore because they struck those down in that 2015 yes, thing. Yes. So, but he doesn't think the federal law outweighs that state act or amendment. I but of course it I does. I don't understand this. How it's, it's as if he's, he knows the law enough to like pass the bar, become yes. a judge. Like how yes. does he, what is he? And he was blindly, an attorney. He was like, a DA. We'll get into Does he DA just, stuff. he just picks and chooses the, what he wants DA. to believe. How do you not know the Supreme Court is the law? The right. U S Supreme Court's a law of the land. How do you not, or what, why, what the fuck? I know it's wild. So a judicial inquiry commission gets involved. They dig in and he's brought up on the following ethical violations. And this is according to ABC 33 news out of Alabama. Canon one failed to uphold the integrity and independence of the judiciary. Canon two failed to avoid impropriety and the appearance of impropriety in all his activities. Mm. Canon two a failed to respect and comply with the law and failed to conduct himself at all times in a manner that promotes public confidence in the integrity and impartiality of the judiciary. Ooh. Impartiality, buddy. Yes. yes. Canon 2B failed to avoid conduct prudential to the administration of justice that brings the judicial office into disrepute. Canon 3 failed to perform the duties of his office impartially. Mm -hmm. Canon 3A failed to abstain from public comment about a pending proceeding in his own court. And so you have to check out that article because... um, At the end, and it's in our notes, there's like a full 50-page PDF of like that whole thing. Yeah. And so as a result of those charges, he is suspended from the bench for the remainder of his term. Holy And that's shit. like without pay. So in response to the suspension, and again, this is according to that ABC News 33 article, Moore stated, among other things, that this was a politically motivated mm. effort by radical homosexual and mm. transgender groups mm. to remove me as chief justice of the Supreme Court because of outspoken opposition of their immoral agenda. Mm. You know, I, there's a part of me that respects him for fighting so hard for what he believes in. Right. Like, I get it. And guess what? You're allowed to do that. That's what this right. country's about. Have you're, your beliefs, but you then don't yes. be a judge. Right. You cannot <laughs> take that, that lack of understanding. And I think here's the worst part. He does understand he's not supposed to do it. Oh, he but knows. He, he's doing it yeah. anyway just to be a dick. Yes. And I, 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 I don't, I don't get this. It's, it's insane. So this happens and then in, so he's suspended, right? So he's not like. Oh, so he's not kicked off. He's not kicked off. So he's like suspended indefinitely. Okay. So then he decides to run for the 2017 Senate. Right. right. And, but in order to put that bid in, he has to officially resign. Mm. So then he officially, so he, he sort of remained on suspended, but. Probably being paid. Uh, no, no. Oh, they, they took the pay away. Oh, good. <laughs> but he officially resigned his seat in 2017 to run for Senate. And so remember that our 
good old buddy Jeff Sessions had that seat and he had to give it up because he had become yes. Trump's AG. And so, okay. So Which now was, there's this. That was fun. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so now there was this opening. Yeah. And he actually did go well, like for that round. Um, he earned the bid and he did what he always did, right? Um, he rails against abortion. He rails against the LGBTQ community. And um, this time he's including anti-Muslim rhetoric, Ooh. right? It's the conservative way. And so the people who eat that up, yeah, give him that bid. Which and, I guess and in, that, in, in that state, you know, I don't know. I know. So <sighs> what happens? So the major incident, now we get into the nitty gritty. Once he earns that bid, some women start to come forward stating that he engaged in sexual misconduct when he was around 30 years old. This is prior to him being married. And he was then working as an assistant DA for, for some of this time. And they were teenagers. One teen was 14 years old. And so Moore is never brought up on charges because the statute of limitations ran out. And I believe that it's three years. So like if it's something happens, you have mm. three years and I'm, I'm Can we like get rid so of that, please. I know. Can we please it's get like, rid of that. You Can know, we please. It's ridiculous. I, I agree. How is a 14 year old supposed to have the nerves to do something like that? Yes. How is that supposed to happen? Yes. Fuck. <sighs> so, from what I read, the allegations go back to Moore's time, like I said, as an attorney. And so he would frequent the local YMCA and the mall. And according to a New York Times article by Bidgood, Fawcett, and Robertson, some who knew him at the time, including including an employee at the YMCA, say that Moore was upstanding character. There was never any complaints about him and this and that. But there were others who claimed that everyone knew Moore was a bit of a creeper. And as the article uh, noted, there was a Dolores Abney who said he would walk out of the Y shirtless you know, he'd work out and he'd come out without his shirt and he would chat up the younger girls. Uh, at the mall, one former employee at Janet Reeves remembers more asking her teenage friend for her number. Another is the shop owner, Glenn Day, who said that Moore's reputation at the mall was so bad that security requested to be informed whenever he showed up at the mall. Oh my God. Because he was known for like just talking to the younger girls there and so the shop owners were told like if you see him like let us know so that they could keep and an he eye was out. 30 he was in his 30s and so other cops at the time also claimed and this is all coming from you know articles that you can see in our sources so other cops claimed to have known this about him and one said that they were even told to make sure quote he didn't hang around the cheerleaders so this oh was God. his reputation. So again, there are some people who say absolutely not upstanding, kept to himself, didn't really hang out. And then there's this other group of people that were like, no, no, it was like a known thing. Everyone was like, yeah, this guy's this creepy dude that would, you know, try to talk up girls. Mm -hmm. And so the, again, these are allegations. So in no particular order, I want to give some of the allegations from these women. So there was a Beverly Young Nelson and she claims, and this is, I think, one of the, the worst once uh, she claims that when she was 16 years old she worked as a waitress at like a little diner mm -hmm. and he would come in and you know talk about how pretty she looked you know making comments Ugh. like that and like you know he, he would tug at her hair when she would walk by things like that like at the diner and he actually um signed her yearbook so she has like a, 
a note from him in the yearbook mm. and in the yearbook it's like you know you're the prettiest girl something like that and, it, and he signs his name and then underneath it in her own handwriting she had written like the date and like where and so later on when these allegations came out they're like oh look it's two different handwritings she's you know it's a forgery and they try to dismiss that it <sighs> wasn't really him because there was two different types of writing I don't know. But she claims that one night um, he offered to give her a ride home. Oh. And so she says like he didn't go onto the road. Instead, he pulled into the back of the diner like by a dumpster. Okay. And he and she said like she was really scared. And in our notes, there's a whole letter like she writes a whole letter like detailing this. And she says that he groped her, grabbed her neck. And tried to force her head to his crotch. Holy shit. And when she continued to fight and struggle, he basically, and she's like, I don't know if he pushed me out or like I fell out, but like basically like got her out of the car and ultimately threatened her saying that he was like this assistant DA, like he worked for the DA's office and you're just a kid and no one's going to believe you. So like you better keep your mouth shut kind Mm. of thing. And she said, look, you know, this isn't political. Like I voted for Donald Trump. You know, my husband voted for Donald. Like, I just want people to know, like, this happened. And this is who this guy is. Wow. And she said that um, she didn't tell anyone because she was scared. Of course not. She had a boyfriend at the time. And she didn't tell him because she was like, I don't know what he was going to do. And she said she had bruises around her neck. Oh, my God. And she covered it up and that she quit the job, like, in the next day or two. Like, she just never went back. Of course. And that maybe a year or so after she had told her sister and then, like, a few years down, like, she like finally like told the mom or like her husband you know and it was prior to him you know running for the senate seat and so you know i feel like that's believable um another person gina it's believable tina because it happens to all of us like there's always a story you you know a story it's happened to you or you know someone that's next to you your sister your best friend yes we've all been through these situations where all of a sudden we're in a car or in a corner, creeped out by yes. somebody who's grabbing at us and can't get away. And you can't or get away. It's fuck. You just told the story, yeah, Tina. I know. And um, you know what's funny is, um, I saw something somewhere recently that was like, how come uh, women can name four or five people or more who have been assaulted, but a man can't name one person who's right. a sexual assaulter? Yeah, isn't that funny? Right. Give me a break. Gina Richardson claims to have received a forceful kiss by Moore when she was a teenager. And so like he was pursuing her and she went on a date with him. So some of these girls were underage, but they were like, oh, this older guy. And yes. like, oh, you know, and so they, they went with him, but they felt uncomfortable. And she describes like that. He like tried to like stick his tongue down her mouth. And she was like, like, Ew. the worst part Ugh. is like the the thing the, the fact that it's a forceful kiss you know that she doesn't want yeah. you Ugh. near that like Ugh. she doesn't want you to kiss her but you're forcing it's it so and gross. that's what makes how is that even fun anymore it's yeah. not about that it's not about getting a kiss it's for awful. him uh, there was a lay Korfman. She claimed that Moore met her when she was 14 and he Ooh. was in his 30s working at the DA's office. And so she and her mom like went to the courthouse and he um she had to like the mother was dealing with something and he goes, Oh, well I'll wait in the hallway with your daughter. And, and he's like, I'll hang out with you. It's all that. You don't want to listen to that boring talk. Mm -mm. And she was like, Oh, I thought it was nice that he kept me company. And then he asked for her phone number and reached out to her. And then she went with him a couple of times. Um, she, 
she says that they went on two dates and she claims um, on the first date he commented on her looks and kissed her and then later claimed that he assaulted her on the second date and he basically asked her to strip down to her underwear and he did the same and like he touched her over her underwear and asked her to do the same to him and she said she felt uncomfortable just wanted it to sort of I'm sorry, but everybody listening needs to picture a man in their thir- in his 30s and doing this to girl. a 14-year-old girl. A little girl. He's a pedophile. Yeah. He's a pedophile. So when this came out, uh, there was this uh, hashtag that was like, uh, I can't remember it exactly, but it was hashtag like me at 14. And mm. women started posting pictures like, this is what I look like at 14. Yeah. Just to remind everyone that you look like a yeah. little girl. Of course. And so like that trended for a while. Um, Atina Johnson allegedly more groped her uh, behind when she met with him regarding a child custody case. A Kelly Harrison Thorpe alleged that Moore asked her out when she was a teen and he was in her 30s. A Becky Gray claims that he kept bothering her at work when she was a teen, telling her that she was pretty and it creeped her out to the point where she like told her manager please like, you know, and that people would be around. And, you know, I was listening to this and, and I feel like I always have these stories, but I had a, a similar, another similar experience with, um, an, a, a customer and I was about 16 and, um, working in a retail store mm-hmm. and I worked in the men's department. Mm-mm. And so there was the men's department, there was the young men's. And so I often pers- working the young men's department because it was like more like parents coming in with like their kids yes and then the men's department and then and at that time if a men if a guy bought a suit um we had a a tailor and so like you would have so they taught me like how to do like the the seam like for the to pin it to pin it yeah you know and I remember like most guys were fine but there were always like the creepy dudes and you'd be in this like part of the dressing room and they'd be up on a, a stand and the mirrors behind them. And yeah, you have to kneel down. And it was just sometimes creepy with some of the men, but there was one guy in particular who came in all the time and he had to be, I mean, this is going back to my 16 year old memory, but he was like an old man. He had to be like in his fifties and it started with, he would come in and just start buying stuff. And I always worked like the, the weekend shift because I was a teenager. So I always worked like Friday nights and Saturday nights. Yeah. And that's when he would come in. And then it was, he would bring chocolate. Like, oh, I here's this box out here. And I, and I would go, no, 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 you keep it. It was like little things like that. And I, I remember telling my coworkers, like, this guy's creeping me out. Mm. And it escalated to the point where he brought me lingerie. <gasps> he he Tina. purchased and gave me lingerie would always say like, Oh, why don't we go? You know, it, it was like every week. And then finally they switched me, um, strictly to the young men's. Cause I was like, I, this guy is freaking me out. And then anytime he would come in, another coworker would come and they'd move me like to the back or whatever. And then eventually he stopped coming, but it was like, you know, these men are crazy. Yeah. Can you imagine? Well, it's, and I remember and, op- he was like here and I was like, I can't take this. And I was so, I, I remember feeling so worked up and then I would have to wait for my parents to pick me up after work and I'd be so nervous. I was going to say, I would be frightened to leave uh, the, the fucking store yeah. at night. It was awful. Tina, I'm so sorry. It was awful. Well, but these are creeps. Like these are creeps and they prey on young people. And then why as a young person do I have to get a manager and have these other people have to try to protect me. Like, just leave people alone. 
Well, the worst part is too, like at least you, you know, you came from a, a family that was there and supportive and like you could and picked me up after picked work. you up. Yeah. Like, could you imagine <laughs> if you were a girl who didn't have anybody to say, Hey, or da, 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 da. Yeah. And, and could have fallen for that and been like, yes. oh, they really want attention. And all of yes. a sudden it's like now they're in this fucking creepy environment, Ugh. you know, Ugh. it happens all the time where they usually the, the real good creeps yeah. will target someone they know is vulnerable. Yeah. And then uh, they really take advantage of them. So gross. So there were several others who said they dated him when they were teens and he was in their 30s and, and they just were like, yeah, we, we dated, you know, like it was, you know. And but more again, <laughs> even if he was nice or whatever, they didn't feel creeped. Right. You're a teenager with a 30 year old. I know. What would you listen? I'm in my 40s. What would I talk to even a 20 year old man about, Tina? I what know. would I talk to a 20 year old about? I, I don't know. even know. <laughs> I just discovered Dua Lipa, that music artist, for the first time. Oh. Do you know who that is? <laughs> uh, yes. I heard one of her songs like, oh, this is so good. I had no idea she existed. Like, what am I talking to little men, I young know. men about? I know. That, and that's the whole thing. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to get to know you and fall in love with you. No. He's a fucking creep. Like and he's he, like, and he wants to either control or ugh, yes, God. hurt you. And, but Alabama state law, and I don't oh, know at the go. time, and this is still, you know, um, well, he was in his thirties then, but at the time it was 16 was the age of consent. So even if he was dating those 16 year olds, wow, he couldn't have gotten in trouble. The 14 year old. Sure. So Moore's reaction, he denies these allegations. Um, but he did at one point say, yeah, you know, there, he did date teens. Like when, and he, and he, I think he kind of, it was like, sort of like, oh, this is just how it was, you know, that sort of excuse. I don't know. But the aftermath, <laughs> what, 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 I know. What would any of these guys want him, da- a 30 year old dating Ugh. their 16, 14 year old daughter? It's so gross. But as far as like the, the assault charges and all of that, those other ones that I read, he, he denies all of them. He says, you know, not true. And the aftermath is that lead Republicans like Mitch McConnell said that he believed the women and that more should step out of the race. But, but guess who was a big supporter of him at the time? The, 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 the creep in chief. Yes. Chief and creep. Yes. Yeah. Right. So he stood by him. So the fallout. So, you know, I feel like we know the drill, right? People look into the allegations and most of the stories hold true, right? So um, once people start digging in, there was one story. There was one woman, though, who did come forward with a pregnancy claim and all of this that, that went to the Washington Post. But they, they vetted it. They looked into it and they were like, Nothing. there's there's no consistency here. Okay. The story keeps changing. Like, And yeah, they yeah. realized, like, no, this lady isn't telling the truth. So when you have these stories of, oh, all of this are lies, this and that. The, 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 these reporters dig into mm-hmm. this before they put a claim forward. Right. And so like this particular person, they, they were like, this doesn't hold water. So, you know, and, and I understand there's this fear, right, of, so, you know, every time a woman comes forward, we just have to automatically believe her. What if she, I, I feel like a lot of time things are vetted and they look at, well, no, this person corroborates the story and you know what I mean like that it is looked into yes and so you know and this is an example we're here with someone there was no veracity to the claim and so they didn't go with it they didn't Mm -hmm. you know run uh you know elite not uh, um not illegal (laughs) what am I saying (laughs) um you know this this um illegitimate child they didn't do any of that right right? they could have but they didn't because they vetted it so um, anyway, more people find the evidence compelling and they begin calling for more to step down. And ultimately, this leads the way for Democrat Doug Jones to swoop in for the win. Nice. Because yes. you know, there's the Republican on the ticket and the Dem on the ticket. And wow, in Alabama, now they've got this yeah. <laughs> senator that's um, a Democrat. 
So um, I want to go into some points of interest. One thing that I found really interesting about Moore is he kept using the phrase acknowledged, right? They're not letting me acknowledge God um, or have the acknowledgement of God. And I was like, what is this about? And so I sort of dug um, a little deeper. And even on his website, he says that he's being punished for acknowledging God. So it's, it's this phrase. And now when I first hear the word acknowledge, I just think it means like to recognize God. Mm-hmm. But that's not what more means when he says that. And when he uses that phrase, people who um, are of his religious belief are more sort of on the evangelical side. Um, they understand what he means by that. And so the context is different. And when he says acknowledging God, what he is saying is that he is submitting everything to the guidance of Jesus, to the word of God as laid out in the Bible. Mm. So this is sort of where he's wrong, not as a Christian, right? But as a judge, he cannot lay aside the laws of the land in favor of God's wisdom. And that's what he sort of based his whole career and reputation on is this that he is going to rule through this acknowledgement. Yes, and that's it's right. Wild, it's wild to me. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to acknowledge God in my ruling. Right. I'm going to take an account these words as I'm ruling to acknowledge it through the ruling of what yes. I'm a judge. And that's like the dog whistle, right? When he says acknowledging yes. God, then everyone's like, oh, oh, no, oh they're stripping us of our religion yes. and all of this. So my star Starbucks cup has to say Merry Christmas yes. on it. Yes. <laughs> it's, oh my God. And it's, oh, it's just interesting to me, like the things that people weigh, right. And like what, what takes precedence and for him, like, this is it. So, um, other things. So as I noted, like this guy's a blowhard (laughs) and he's made ridiculous statements from, I mean, he's one of the, he questioned Obama's birth, right? Mm. He claimed that 9-11 was because America had lost its faith and that's why it happened. Wonderful. The same thing with like school shootings, any ridiculous conservative claim, like this guy is there. Like he's like the poster child for it all. Um, but I wanted to look at a couple of his quotes to show the danger of this type of thing. And Nash Jenkins of Time Magazine um, and another article, a CNN article by Andrew Kaczynski and Chris Massey noted some of his more uh, brash and bigoted statements and actions. So going all the way back, and this is a guy who keeps getting elected, right? But going back to 1990, he was removed from a case because of his views about homosexuality, right? And this is, he's acknowledging God and this is how it hinders his ability to be a fair judge. So he's a, oh, he was a judge. In he was a, okay. Yes, okay, he was okay. a judge. Um, and he ruled that a woman who had an affair with a woman could only have supervised visits with her kids because, quote, minor children will be detrimentally affected by the present lifestyle. And so they had to remove him and like it went further saying like, he, he this is not, he's not being impartial. Wow. Right. In 2002, he made a judicial decision based on his religious beliefs rather than what would have been in the best interest of a child. So he gave custody and it was, so a woman was married. She later came out as a lesbian, left her abusive ex-husband, and he gave custody to that man rather than her because, quote, homosexual, and this is in, this is in like his, his, in, in the ruling, Quote, homosexual behavior is a crime against nature, an inherent evil, and an act so heinous that it defies one's ability to describe it, and that it would render him or her an unfit parent. Wow. 
Can you imagine? It's so scary. It's, and this is in 2002. But we really have to know, this is before the Supreme Court. Like we really need to know about these guys and women who do these things before they get put in office. Yes. This is incredible. Again, this is a guy who, but he spouts this stuff. And again, the people who align with that belief get rally around him and vote for him. Mm. It's so, it's so, so scary. And then, so he wrote a book. It was called So Help Me God. Oh, for fuck's sake. And in 2005. So help me, God. In 2005, he does this uh, interviews on like C-SPAN 2. (laughs) Real exciting channel. (laughs) But there's, um, I have a link to the video. um, And and, and the host is asking him, and the host is great because he's like, uh, you know, the whole time, like, uh, you understand, like, that's your religion and and this is the law, kind of that conversation. And at one point, Moore noted that homosexuality should be illegal. And then he asked the host, you know that bestiality, the relationship between man and beast is prohibited in every state. And David Press, who was this, or um, I'm sorry, uh, Bill Press, who was the the guy interviewing him, pressed him asking, wait a minute, you mean homosexuality is the same thing as bestiality? And Moore continued, it's a moral precept under which this country was founded. My God, this is incredible! What it's is so degrading. On? It's so dehumanizing. But like, what happened to this guy? What's I, going like, on? And here? here he is, like he, like m- making these insane comparisons. But it's like something somebody in, that lives in their mom's basement would be right. doing on the internet. And, He's and a freaking Supreme Court judge in Alabama. It's, it's it's nuts. And it's the moral precept, right? The moral precept, right? The moral laws and commandments by which people should live by. So it's clear. You know, again, there is no separation of church and state, and that alone should bar him yeah. from ever being able to hold a position as a judge. Yet after this, this is 2005. He was on that Supreme Court in 2012. Wow. Right? Mm. After making these statements, after writing a book, after doing all of these things, he still got elected. Other lack of candidates? Like, what's <laughs> what is the deal? Oh. <sighs> girl um another thing is um during a rally and i don't have the year here but he once told a black man that the last time america so this is um during um i want to say it's around 2016 because it was during the make america great mm-hmm. um thing he uh, <laughs> the fun the fun carnival yeah, someone asked you know when was the last time america was great and he said that the last time america was really great <laughs> was during the time of slavery basically oh. basically saying during the time of of you know civil war oh my god and so he said aside from the slavery part right <laughs> it was a wonderful time for family by the way aside from that he i give me a break i guarantee he only said that bit because somebody gave him a face <laughs> like what <laughs> and he was like well oh, oh, oh yeah oh. aside from slavery you know the, the that's when family was so important well, what about the uh, slaves' families? I, what about hey, that family? <laughs> the, well, you mean when the, the non-family because the yeah. children were separated yes. immediately, and like sold to the next plantation? Yeah, and, please go read some uh, Frederick Douglass. Holy and shit! And learn about family, slaves. Oh my god! So he has this foundation, and it's called the Foundation of Moral Law, and that's where he fights for his and other people's rights to acknowledge God again. So, like, again, the thing that is, and his wife is president of the foundation. <laughs> And 
the thing that is, again, it's crazy to me is because I was looking at it and he has like, he has like early documents from the 1700, like early American documents. And he, he lifts part of the constitution and he tries to take things out of context to use as evidence that we are supposed to be ruling by the 10 commandments. Like it, it's crazy. Like, like he has, he has like, you know, you can look at it and like, like, here's the proof. It's right here in these documents. Yeah. yeah. The other thing that was so great and you have to, you guys, please, please look up Roy Moore poet. What? Because he's written, he's written some really to great, the 14 year old girls he's in love with. Oh no. It's all about America. Uh, he wrote a song about America the Beautiful. Oh, no. And it's all about how America is suffering because of godlessness, you know, abortion and cocaine and all those things. Uh, oh. He wrote a, a version of The Night Before Christmas. And it's uh, like basically like a little girl's dad dressed up at Santa. He ends up dying. It's what in it's, the it's the craziest. It's so funny. What is going on? He writes poetry. Guy? What happened to him? What is going on here? Um, in between his two stints on the Alabama Supreme Court, um, he tried to run for governor. He failed. Thank God. Ugh. And, um, the one thing that I found interesting too, though, like he's, he's so conservative, but he is liberal on prison reform. Hmm. Um, he does, uh, he, he did say in 2015, there's a lot of people in there serving 99 years in life for sentences that two or three years in prison might address. So, you know, why don't you get on board with everything else now? Like if you're a little open-minded here, get an open-minded um, other places. He claimed that football players taking a knee was illegal. <laughs> That's completely false. He's a judge. Wow. He should know the law, but there he is. Um, he co-authored a course in 2011 on local government where one of his co-authors basically said that women are, quote, the weaker vessel and mm. implied that they are unfit to assume public office because mm. of that. What do you think of that? Well, I think that I think this guy has been I think that he <laughs> a, a, weaker a, vessel. a psychological exam and like a very in-depth look into his childhood so would prove <laughs> some crazy information. Well, he did grow up. He grew up. Um, quite poor and, um, you know, really worked his way. And he was, he was, um, in high school, you know, that quote from the high school student, he really worked hard. He wanted to sort of get out of yeah. his, his, that, that life. And he was even voted, uh, most likely, <clears throat> most likely to succeed. Um, this is one of my favorite things. He got played by Sasha Baron Cohen on his show, Who's <gasps> America? Yes. Okay. And Cohen yes, had yes, a yes. wand. I remember this. That could tell if someone was a pedophile. And then oh he would like God. reach it over and it would, you know, go off. And he like flips out and leaves. Yes. Um, I remember he's that. he's like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when, that, when he was running for that Senate, yes, I remember that clip yes, was going Yes, up. yes, And uh, Moore is still trying to sue him because of that. But... You know, he has, you know, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen has been sued. I mean, God, remember the, the Ali G show? Yes. I love that show. And then, you know, Borat and everything. But he has these documents that he has people sign. And no one reads the fine print that lays out, like, you can't sue me. <laughs> like, you can't so sue me for good. this. And then um, this is my favorite, is that in 2019, he announced a 2020 Senate bid. But he lost in the primary. Oh, thank God. But guess who's... Guess who's in that primary girl or not primary? Guess who's up for that seat? Wait a minute. Guess who's back there? 
No, who? Former AG. No. Oh, Jeff Sessions Are you is serious? running against the Are Dem. Are you serious? That one. I didn't know that. Oh, yes. <gasps> Tina, are I you know. are you I, telling me I'm that telling this you. for the November 2020 election, yes. Jeff Sessions is running? Yeah. How is that race going? What's happening? Uh, I don't know. Um, the the that the person is, that that isn't that is incredible. I know the person that beat out more is is running again. So please, people, please let him win again. <laughs> oh my god! But that's it. That's the story of Roy Moore. The guy is nuts. Wow. It's why it's, it's it's. Well, I guarantee you because how he can justify everything with with his religion that he can also justify the teenage girl thing. You know, like this looking at young girls, I think that he probably can justify because I'm sure some part of the Bible, there's a thing about young girls being able to have when they're ready to have children, whatever, like I guarantee you he could come up with an argument or justification for all of that, because there's no reason any man 30 th- above should be interested in a 14 year old girl. There's just I, no reason except that there's something off, you know, I know it's. It's it's crazy. I know. So that's it. That's good. Ooh. That's a good story. <laughs> wow. I, it's, it's the biggest incredible. bombshells. Jeff Sessions is running. I, I had know. no idea. I think I'm too wrapped up in Florida yeah, and our, our crazy bullshit races. Yeah. Girl, no. Yeah. Oh, Tina. I know. It's what it, this <laughs> Jeff Sessions for Senate. Wow. Wow. Yeah. He's all battled, right. um, he, it, it, here's a quote from Jeff Sessions. Yeah. I've battled liberals all my life. Let's go. Oh. <laughs> These people are old. But he was, let me tell you something Just about this guy though away. too. He was so <laughs> raked over the coals by Trump that I'm shocked I he think, wants to even go back to DC. I think, well, I think Trump recently like said something that, you know, like don't vote for him or it's because, you know, they still, yeah. uh, Oh, I got to go. Now I'm immediately yeah. going to go look up this about Jeff Sessions. <laughs> I can't. I just, I'm shocked. I just, I'm tired of, I just, please, please. Can we just have term limits? Yes. Just please. please. And also please, this, please, this is the kind please. of thing we have these people out. And I'm going to ask my mom if, if anybody would know, cause they pay attention to the news about Jeff Sessions running. It would be my mother. So I'm going to ask her if she knows. If she doesn't know, it's because there is so much stuff happening all the time. There's no, there's no, this isn't even news anymore. I know. You know, that he's trying to go back to DC. I I haven't heard that at all. Yeah. Wow. I know. I was really, I, I was shocked as well. And also you made it to attorney general. You've (sighs) you're done now. Like that should be it. Why are you still trying to get, stay in power? Why are you still trying to run for something? Get the, step aside I know. why are you so special that you need to be elected again what is it about you I, the funniest thing is and and just because while we're talking i've i've pulled up his uh jeff sessions for u.s senate and and my favorite thing about his page is that um it's he's got a section where he's tweeting and um you know screenshots of his tweets because uh trump has said something and it's him you know uh Donald Trump, Jeff, you had your chance and you blew it. <laughs> Recused yourself on day one and wow. blah, blah, blah. And then I will never apologize for following the law and serving faithfully and with honor. Neither of us knew about the phony investigation into our campaign. Oh, my God. Wow. 
it, it's a real, hilarious. you know, it's a real like question of the people who are going to vote for him. Are they pro-Trump? Are they, oh my are God. they believe anti-Trump? Like, is he going to go to D.C. and I mean, fight look, Trump? May 23rd, 2020, at real Donald Trump, Mr. President, Alabama can, it does trust me, huh. as do conservatives across the country. Oh my God. This it's going to be a battle a between story. those two. Yes. <laughs> an unbelievable Ugh. thing. Because if you're pro-Trump and you're Republican in Alabama and you're going to vote for him, are you going to then vote for, are you going to go, the next seat would be the U.S. Senate seat on the ticket. Yes. It'd be president on your ballot and then the U.S. Yes. Senate. Are you then going to vote for Jeff Sessions? <sighs> Even though he's battling, the if you're voting for Trump, he's battling him. Uh, it's, it's so, it's, it's, it's going to be amazing to see that <laughs> ticket and see how people vote. Oh my God. Girl, please. I know. So there we go. Love That's it. The Tina, story. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. I love it. Yes. Guess what? Yes. School is almost over. Whoop. My children are almost done. Listen, teachers, I ready. <laughs> Let me talk to you about I ready. I can't stand it. I'm sorry. Like I get it. It helps them, but God, it's just annoying. And, um, but this is the, so they don't have I ready. They are bouncing around that they don't have I ready coming up this week and they just have, um, fewer assignments and it's like, you know, yes. things are, 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 are slowing down, slowing down. And I'm so excited. I just keep thinking about what my life will be like with all the time <laughs> that I have where I don't have to help with homeschool. Yeah, I know. Yes. And I I've been drawing. Nice. So I'm going to just keep drawing. That's Do you put my... them up on your Instagram or anything? No, I sent, I showed like one friend because I just, I don't know, but I just, it's like, I'll take a picture of something and then I just, you know, I'll draw I it. I love it. <laughs> and right now I'm drawing a picture of my dog. Oh. <laughs> I see it. Make sure you oh send it God. to me. I'll, I'll send to it, it to you. Dear God. I showed you that painting I copied. Oh, I copied a so painting. Because nice. this weekend oh. is her birthday. So anyway, I made a picture, a painting that I'm going to give to Mary for her birthday. Our friend Mary. Mary, Mary, why are you bugging? <laughs> <laughs> a little oh. song for you. Happy yes. birthday, Mary. I hope you had a good birthday. Yeah. Quarantine birthdays. They're okay. I know. But they're not birthdays, really. Uh, like, we're going to celebrate them later. Yes, we'll all be in a big hug. Yes. A big puddle. <laughs> I don't know. We'll all just puddle up together. Yes. Puddle, huddle, cuddle. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We will see you next week. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. If you want to see any photos or take a deeper dive into our stories, please follow the episode notes on our website, themuckpodcast.fireside.fm, and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Muck Podcast. To support the Muck Podcast, please visit our Patreon page. We have three levels of support and different goodies for each level. Muckraker, Policy Wonk, or Bleeding Heart. We can't do it without you. Music for the Muck Podcast, written and performed by Sean Doherty.